So we were just talking before we started recording. Uh, I was going, coach. And Greg said, coaches. Was it coaches? Coaches. Which was what one of the cops called the Indian in Fargo. And if you've watched Falling Skies, the, you know, the alien liaison to the humans was... <laughs> You're not talking to many people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was Cochise. Um, so Greg looked it up, and there was a, a Indian chief for part of Apache, you said? Yes. Pretty obscure. So, you know, it was it was interesting. Uh, interesting pool, right? Like, Geronimo, no, let's not use him. Let's not use, you know, that's fine, you know put coaches in there uh which made me think of i was watching was watching survivor man he's back on the air you know he's the guy that does the yep. survival by himself with no camera crew so it's kind of like the real bear grills and not the yeah. bullshit bear grills the bear grills is anyway he was he just did a thing it was crazy he did a thing in india and like i've heard about i heard that he crapped his pants so I think it's a two-parter. I haven't seen the second part okay. yet. But um, he actually needed, like, bodyguards because of the tigers and shit. What? Like, like he's out there. But, like, everyone... He mentioned, like, on the air, like, every once in a while, he'll see the guys with the guns, like, like in the woods. And, like... So, like, the first couple nights he spent, like, in this, like... So this part of India, like, near the Himalayan mountains, right? There's... It's, you know, it's not new nature, like most of the woods here in America. Even though we've been here for 300, 400 years, it's not new. Right. It's tens of thousands of years. So there's trails through the woods. And there's these uh, wanderers or these vagabonds who, you know, go from temple to temple. And there's these trails through the woods. He's walking these trails. And there's these, like, old abandoned huts and stuff. So, like, the one place he spent the first couple nights was this, like, two or three story, like, tower. Like, but there's no door on it. So he built his fire right in front of the door. Cause like in this area is a human eating tiger who has eaten like 15 people and he's like surviving. Like, so he does that. And then there's elephants and elephants will maul you and trample you and kill you. And, um, tell them a story about like, they make sleeping platforms, you know, cause it's not safe to sleep on the ground and elephants like pull people off the sleeping platforms and like throw them and trample them. Like, elephants are assholes, apparently. <laughs> um, so, like, they would if not... If I were an elephant, I knew a human were around, I'd probably be a fucking asshole to it, too. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, so fucking humans. What he God said, so, damn you guys. So he prides himself in self-surviving, Aren't right? Aren't you I an mean, asshole to stink bugs? Yeah. Fucking asshole. <laughs> fucking, you're, you're right. So he prides himself in, in, like, there's times where he survives where if he broke a leg... Like, he would be SOL. There's no mm-hmm. lifeline to say, hey, my leg's broken, come get me. It would have to be, like, a fail-safe, like, oh, it's been 14 days and he's not out of the woods yet. Yeah, it's been. Yeah, it's been uh, 14 days and he's not out of the woods yet. Let's go search for him. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, Survivor Man's, like, the real deal. But, so, like, he mentioned when he was in the Siberia or the Arctic, like, with polar bears, he needed... Like, they wouldn't let him do it without, like, guards. And, like, in the Indian forests, the jungles, you know, so with the tigers and shit. So, survival, I mean, on, on less drowned scale, it's not as... I'm sure he doesn't want it. Right, yeah. I'm sure he doesn't want babysitters. But insurances. But he needs... 
They yeah. wouldn't let him do it if yeah. he didn't have the gun-toting gun babysitters. Um, but, you know, he, like, so he did the first night. Then there was one point where he, like, stepped on a in-the-ground hornet's nest. And, like, so, like, you don't know what's happening. You're watching, like, it's his chest-mounted camera, and he's just running as fast as he can, like, as an elephant chasing him. Like, and there's no, like, narration, right? So you don't know until he's safe mm-hmm. where he can say, like, what had happened to him. But, like, the show ended where... He had sworn he heard a ti- heard the tiger, a tiger, and he was spending the night like up in the crotch of a tree, and his like backpacks like down on the ground and like like nothing. Oh, like, I hope he gets eaten. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, that'd be a, that'd be a hell of a cl- that'd be a hell, hell of a, a second episode. Yeah. Um, I, I like Survivor Man. Uh, you know some of the the more basic survivals because now he's doing you know it's. Well, the show ended, mm-hmm. and he was going to go do something else. And then I think he realized that he needs to do more Survivor Man. Yeah, most people have one great idea. <laughs> right. So now he's yeah. back, but he's doing things like uh, famous stories, like a family that got lost in the woods less than a mile from their car, and mm-hmm. like they got frostbite and had to spend seven days like less than a mile from their car. He kind of went to Portland, or went to the Oregon forest and did that. Now he's doing, you know, these this you know indian thing and he's also like he has like less Stroud brand of survival gear yeah so he's selling that yeah he's I saw, kind I, of, I saw one or two episodes where he has his kit yes and he, he keeps, takes out his he kit. keeps yeah. talking about the kit yeah well i don't know if he keeps talking about it. in the episode i saw he, he, there's yeah. one segment he brings up he well but in multiple episodes yeah, he, yeah. Talks, he talks about the kit or parts of the kit i, I don't mind that yeah. i mean come on give less Stroud a chance to sell his bullshit oh sure yeah it's, it, it's probably the best survival bullshit out yeah. there. I mean, he's not Bear Grylls. Right. So, I uh, enjoy the show. I enjoy, you know, like, there's been times where, like, I mean, I appreciate that he wants the show to be so authentic that he, you know, he has this huge backpack, but it's full of camera gear. Right. And he'll do these shots where he sets up a camera up on a ridge, and he they show him, like, walking way down into the valley. And then I'm walking back. Well, no, they don't show that part, but right. he has to go get his camera. But sometimes they do show him walking back and yeah, save the yeah, camera. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I have to go back to get yeah. you. Yeah. So, I mean, there is, yeah, it's the survival is compounded by he also has to film it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has to film it himself. So it adds to the arduousness of his task, but it also gives him something to do. Yeah. So, there was a really good one in this season where he was in Transylvania. And, uh, like, he was trying to get, like, he knew that there was trails and he was trying to get down, get out back into civilization. And he kind of got stuck on a cliff. Like, he went all, like, he spent, like, an hour going down. And there was, like, no way out. And he almost fell off the cliff. And then he had to hike, like, three hours back up the hill. And um, it was neat because for that one, there's there's a rescue team. In those mountains, in that part of Transylvania, like rescue team. No, like 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 hardcore, like rescue, because people get lost there all the time. So like, they were looking for him. So he was a kind of like their training dummy or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then for part of the episode, he pretended he had a broken leg, so he was like surviving, like just crawling on the ground and stuff. 
That that's when I, I, I remember when I say this when I say this he pretended he had a, he had a broken arm and then after okay, like never, four days he said all right screw this oh okay so <laughs> when I say this it sounds like Bear Grylls because Bear Grylls would drive me fucking nuts he's supposed to be surviving right. he's like I'm gonna climb this slippery waterfall for fucking fuck's sake or I'm gonna climb to the top of this seventy foot tree to look around yeah if you're surviving you're not doing that dangerous bullshit yeah, yeah. okay let's let's. Let's shift gears here. Let's talk about the the Satoshi Nakamoto guy. Oh yes, motherfuckers! <laughs> Wired magazine. So probably a hoax. The 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 story as it's coming out now is. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. It's not the Australian. No, I mean most they don't know for sure. But he, I mean, they had some. I mean, it wasn't conclusive, but it's some really good evidence. I mean, there was stuff like prior to the paper being published. Right, but there is it's more long... stuff that's coming out now. Okay. Because I've been following the story that it, it looks more like this guy is a con man who has been working for a while and set up a trail in case somebody might go and look back to make it look like he has... It's a crazy con. It's a crazy con, sure. To make it look like he has experience in this field when he doesn't. And he's just been scamming people for years. His whole thing about having a supercomputer, well, it turns out that the company that supposedly verified the other supercomputer never verified it. Or gave him a supercomputer. Oh, really? So he's on the top 500 list and no one's seen it. No one's seen it. No one's had access to it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So this dude has two computers on the top 500. Go to top500.com, you'll find the 500 fastest computers in the world. And he has two of them. And he just claimed it. And apparently they never verified it. So there's a lot of of stuff. What about the um, dead buddy that... Just tied to as the far trust. as we know that that's true, but we don't know whether there's actually those bitcoins. He claims there. Are oh, Bitcoin. okay. So that's we don't that's know where there's that, and he's using that as to to the the best theory I saw was that and I, Chris, I don't know whether this is true or not, but he apparently has been using this for a while, probably to talk to tell people I'm secretly Satoshi Nakamoto. Don't tell anybody. To, you know, mm-hmm. business people so he could scam them out of, out of getting money and that's why the Australian places are now like are, are really looking at him for tax stuff because he's been he's basically a con man and I, I think it's a beautiful example of Bitcoin that either the guy who is Satoshi Nakamoto or yet another guy who's claiming to be is a con man there you go there's Bitcoin for you. I know Bitcoin is spiking in value right now. Where people are going like, oh, it's four hundred blah blah dollars now. I don't care what the price of your stupid lottery ticket is. The point is not that oh, it, it's a decent price. The point is that who cares? It's a fucking scam. It's not a stable store of value. It's a gambling thing. If you want to gamble, go ahead. I wouldn't. I, hey, look, if you want to put two percent of your of your income into Bitcoin, go ahead. That's a decent amount to to put into a gambling thing. That makes sense, sure. If you put your entire life savings into Bitcoin, you're just being dumb. The um, so I, I listen to the Secure Nail podcast, right? And Steve Gibson is the guy that hosts that, and he's generally you know pretty spot on with things. Uh, he mentioned in the most recent one, they're talking about Bitcoin. It was the day that the story was 
uh, uh, put out, the Wired story was put out. So actually, Steve didn't know anything about it. Leo Laporte talked about it. But they kind of got off heat that Steve knows uh, this guy named Mark Thompson in Arizona, where power is really cheap, and he's been Bitcoin mining and stuff. Steve threw out there that he clears $22,000 a month in mining Bitcoins. That seems cray-cray. That's bullshit. Here's another thing that, that somebody pointed out. If you were... If you had a bunch of Bitcoin, a whole bunch, that you managed to get through like nefarious means, let's say, you managed to steal it or whatever... How would you cover up? How would you explain the fact that you have all this Bitcoin? A huge amount of Bitcoin. Uh, so I don't. What know if enough. you said you were the original guy who created Bitcoin? That's how yeah. you have all this. I don't, I don't know enough about the ledger, right? To 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 know how you can lie about it, or I mean, in in theory, every single transaction in the entire Bitcoin chain is. But they were saying that this Match. initial 20 million Bitcoin or whatever that Nakamoto has isn't in the ledger or something? Or? No, it's in the ledger. Oh, okay. But it, it, it's, it's never been transacted? It's never been transacted. It, it, or, you know, it, it, been, it was mined initially, but it never... Uh, it, it hasn't moved from one transaction to another. Okay. I mean, if someone were to take this huge amount of Bitcoin and sell it, it would be like, okay, so imagine having... Uh, Imagine the, uh, the best way to to understand this is imagine having you know, Picasso's go for a million dollars a piece, or right? So because they're because they're really rare. Right. Imagine you flood the market with a whole bunch of Picassos. All of a sudden, Picasso's going to drop in so price. So the question I have for you. So you were asking like, how do you tell or whatnot? So the question I have, and I presume the ledger can track this down. But so you're Shikoshi Nakamoto, anonymous guy with twenty million Bitcoin, or a group, right? Or you're a guy who ripped off Mt. Gox and B, C, D, and E exchanges, and you have $20 million in Bitcoin. Well, apparently part of his tax scheme is that he's saying he lost money in Mt. Gox, but didn't necessarily do it. Okay. There's a lot, there's, there's well, a lot so, of intricacies So say you were the guy case. that made the money. Say you were the guy that stole the Bitcoin from Mt. Gox. Well, okay. Mt. Gox wasn't stealing Bitcoin. It was bots pretending that there were. It was pretending that there was a lot um, more volume. Um, so maybe that's part. That they there. claimed they had their money stolen. Right. But okay. So I don't know. Was it really? Mm, or no. did, did Mt. Gox embezzle it? It wasn't that Mt. Gox embezzled it. It was that they were pretending they had a lot more activity than there actually was, and then in order to. Either in order to cover up or simply because of lack of security, they lost whatever collateral they had to maintain the idea that they had this stuff going on. They did lose people's bitcoins, but it's a complicated thing when you're dealing with wealth and you're dealing with with with, with what people put in. Uh, what ha- I mean, because the money goes somewhere. Some of the money goes somewhere, but then what happens to what you're putting into it, especially when it's a digital asset that can just disappear. Um, and it, it's it's a really it's a it's a very complicated question. I don't know if I fully understand it. What I do know is is this: uh, there's a whole bunch of dumb ideas with Bitcoin. Let's say, for example, because uh, Bitcoin requires the internet to be working, it requires some kind of network for it to be working. So let's say s- somehow the Chinese get cut off from 
from the rest of, of the, the internet for two, three weeks. Well, you have Chinese Bitcoin miners who are mining, and you have other Bitcoin miners who are going to be mining, and they're going to find blocks, mm-hmm. uh-huh, and they're going to verify their transactions and their own things. And then when the internet gets, come, gets back on, whoever has the f- longest blockchain is going to win, and their transactions are going to be valuable, and the other transactions are going to be lost. Right. Poof, gone. Yeah, well, there's no 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 winning in ch- sec- second place is first loser, right? <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, if you if you ever split the network, you have this situation. Well, sure. If I mean, so but I mean that's if it's a temporary net split, then it'll resolve itself. You're, I think your con- concern is if the internet all of those for- transactions on one side are gone. Well, it's whoever gets quorum first, right? I mean... Yeah, but when... So you have quorum established for a while on two chains, and they're suddenly brought together. Well, they're not the... Oh. The one that's going to win well, is the one that's going to win. You have to solve split brain somehow, right? I mean... I, I, BitChain solves that by saying whatever is the furthest along... Sure, sure. That that's not the blockchain does. So whoever is the furthest along, whoever is completed more blocks is the winner. And... More blocks is the winner. Well, sure, but I mean, okay. So I and mean, all of those other transactions that were in there are gone in one chain versus the other, and so that's it. There, all those transactions have been reversed or transactions. Or are you talking about like my the, the the discovery part or both or both transactions are part of the discovery. You include transactions in your discovery. It, it's a complicated process to go into how the hashing works, but. You can you can just hash without transactions, but you can also hash with transactions, and you get then transaction fees for that. But the the it, it's it's a it's a complicated a try. It's trying to solve a problem in math called the Byzantine general problem. It doesn't really solve it mm. except for making an example of a way to solve a particular version of it. But uh, it's. It, it's it's not perfect, and this is an example of why it can work. The, other, but the Byzantine working. general problem, I've heard this. This is the one where... How do you ensure the communication between two people right. is intercepted and changed? Okay. I thought... um, it doesn't really solve the problem. It pretends like it solves the problem, but it doesn't really solve the problem. It, it adds some extra obfuscation on there and, and says that you solve it through consensus, which doesn't really happen. But that's neither here nor there. If there's a global economic collapse, there's an internet collapse. There has to be the communication collapse. It's not like you can maintain the internet with a global economic collapse. Well, you know there's so, a way to fix this, right? Because Google has a quantum computer now. Well, yeah, they have the D wave, which is quantum annealing, not actual quantum computing. This it's uh, I could get into it, but I can't really because I don't understand everything. About it. <laughs> right. So right. I mean, I read the article and yeah. I was like, no, I've, I've, mm. I I I didn't read the article. I know about quantum annealing versus other quantum effects, and it's. <laughs> It's a different type of quantum effect, effect they're taking. They're, they're working on. It's not uh, what people call superposition. It's different. I don't like superposition. I like underposition. 
which is my term. Okay. Uh, so the results are more than impressive. As you can see from the graph above, Google's method beat out the other two quite handily, solving the function with a thousand binary variables up to a hundred billion, hundred million times faster. So basically they had, uh, two like QA, like here's an algorithm to solve these two problems. Right. And then it should be noted again. I didn't read the article, but I do know this much about quantum computing that there are only specific algorithms for which quantum computing is, is useful. It's not like quantum computing can simply be applied to every algorithm. So you have to mm-hmm. match your algorithm to a quantum computing type. And, and, and it's possibly that translation, but it's hard. It's not, easy for most algorithms. So so Google has so part of their test, right? They have these two benchmarks, right? They have simulated annealing and quantum Monte Carlo. And they're both simulated systems. And basically is when they actually can make their computer beat these two simulations, they feel that it's actually quantum stuff. Mm-hmm. That part it is intuitive, makes sense, right? So here's our two things that um, you know, if we and if we can beat this by a million, a factor of a million, probably quantum. That's kind of the way I'm super laymaning it, yeah, right? Yeah. But I mean, it, it seems very intuitive. So I mean, that's basically what they have is they were able to solve this specific problem ten million times faster than their QA test, their benchmark. Okay, so that's something. It's not nothing. Yeah, it's not nothing. But yeah, I don't know enough about quantum. Yeah, but what does it mean? I mean, are, do Byzantine generals and traveling salesmen across the world rejoice? I don't think so because I don't think that there's. I I, I don't know the answer to this question. By the you know, the irony is, by the time we solve the traveling salesman problem, there'll be no more traveling salesmen. Are there still any traveling salesmen? No, it doesn't make my statement any less no. true. All right, let, let, let's go back to this I thing. I just want to. Okay. I want to try to get across what I allows you to do briefly without really getting into any equations because it can get it can get ponderous. But just think about this. Think about the idea of a cone. Okay? Just think just sort of a cone, whatever it is. And you can think about if you take a slice of that cone, right? It's basically a circle. Right? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, if the slice is perpendicular to right. the vertex mm-hmm. of but if you take a slice of a cone in a different way, you take, take a slice of this. Sure. Well, that's also a circle. It's an ellipse. It's an ellipse, yeah. Right? Uh, and going from a circle to ellipse is really not that big a deal. We understand how to do that. But the, what, is this, what, the, what I allows you to do is sort of figure out how to do that translation from a flat circle to what is a flat circle in one definition but what isn't a flat circle to another definition mm-hmm. uh and like i said what i allows you to do is to take some number line and assign a number line perpendicular to it another type of value such that you will always be able to wherever you whenever you twist this around you'll always be able to maintain what part is the real number line what part is the x-axis and what part is the y-axis? Where you wouldn't be able to do that without using i. If you just had x and y, they work the same way. Now, the, the values that are times i work the same way as regular number values, 
but they have this I thing attached to them. It's just a way of sort of describing that they are off of the regular number line. Okay. It's it's like an adjective. Right? You're saying the, the, the number line is white. X is white and Y is green. All the numbers on X are white. All the numbers on Y are some shade of green. Mm-hmm. Then you can move to some other part of the universe. And you can say, well, what are these numbers? Well, if they're white, then they're on the X line. If they're green, then they're on Y. And if there's some shade of difference, then we can tell sort of you know where they are. If you didn't have that, if they were all white, then you wouldn't know which was X and which was Y. So it gives you some sort of way of, of imposing cardinality without having the numbers actually behave differently. Okay. Like 4i plus 5i is still 9i. And 4 plus 5 is still 9. Mm-hmm. They, they work exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. But you've given them an adjective. Okay. So that's the idea behind die is to to give numbers a way to understand where they are in this plane and be able to like I said sort of turn that into like take this plane crumble it up into a ball throw it somewhere re- turn it you know take the ball uncrumble it turn it back into a plane and you know where you are you know how this still works. No matter where, you know, how your plane is actually working, you can do this translation. Okay. You keep saying K, K. Does that still... Okay. Do you follow? No. I mean... All right. I don't... What What part are you... What, what part is giving you... I don't get the point you're getting to. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to explain why, because you can do all No, this. I mean, I'm hearing what you're saying. Yeah. It's fine. But until you, like, anchor it with some kind of point, it, I'm just going to say okay. Um, I don't know if I have one. I'm just sort of trying to explain where, 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 where I comes in. I don't know. I'm trying to explain why, why you can do, why I looks just like an XY graph, but it's different. Okay. Right, never mind. You need to anchor it to something because I hear what you're saying. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I uh, comprehend okay, well, that, the words you're saying, but it it doesn't help me figure out how the cone circle ellipse conversion help works, which I thought was where you're going to anchor this thing. No, because I don't want to get into the math. Well... I just want to get to... I'm just trying to make sure the concept is, is clear. When If I get into the equations, I'm going to lose people. <laughs> Dude. Well, trains left the station. <laughs> Maybe. All right. All right. So next time, I'll try to come up with, with, a, with a, a cool example of how I is useful. How about that? I can't think of one off the top of my head that, that I can explain easily, just like the gravity thing. So your whole... 4i plus 5i equals 9i. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely something I learned 
back yeah. in school. You know, the whole point about how the simple math with I or without I works, you know, is, is intuitive and simple. That's absolutely something that I was taught and forgot previously. Okay, cool. But the rest of your X, Y, I, cardinality, crumpled ball, playing again. I don't got I'm, any I'm, of I'm just shit. all right. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to describe. Um. All right. So so let me, so the the point I'm trying to make, it, I guess, is is kind of lost in in the mess. The point I'm trying to make is simply that. Uh, well, all right. Let me let me double down in, in, back into what we were talking about. So yeah, so you have you understand that eyes numbers with I work the same as numbers on a number line, but they have this I attached to them, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. like they have a tail, whatever. They have something hanging off them, but they they work just like normal numbers. But they're not directly translatable, right? Four I is not four, right? Right. So four I is is a different number than four. But 4 and 4i work the same way. Mm-hmm. So you have this now, this way of distinguishing between 4 and another 4, a different type of 4. It works the same way as 4. Every math problem you can do is the same. But one of these 4s has a tail and one of them doesn't. Does that follow through? Sure. Yeah. So the idea be So here, let me ask a question. All right. So you have a Cartesian plane. Yes. X and Y. You have a point at uh, 1, 2, right? X1, Y2, right? Okay. It has some I information with it, right? It has a vector to it. Not on a Cartesian plane. No. Okay. Because on a Cartesian plane, you have X and Y, and X and Y are the same. Am I using my terms wrong, or are you telling me something I don't know? I'm not sure. All right. So, all right. So, my current understanding of I, right? So, Mm -hmm. you have... Line. Yes. You have a zero point on the line. Right. You have a one point on the line. Mm-hmm. You have a particle at one. Or you have a you have something at one. And now I'm relying heavily on that whole analogy of the of I. So you drew I in a semicircle. Yes. Because of the extra dimensionality i like thinking of it as the vector the spool of thread analogy i gave you and maybe there's something wrong in my analogy no there's nothing wrong with that analogy. Okay. it's a great analogy so my analogy of the vector of a spool of thread right i have a spool on its end with an arrow pointing to the right and it's a you know no i right yes and then as you start adding i to it the vector so say i want its vector to be at um 90 degrees. I want the vector to be pointing north, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to turn 90 degrees, B 
because of that vector going 90 degrees, that spool is going to take in some thread. So its actual x value is going to be less than 1. It's going to be the square root of 1 minus 1 minus square root of negative 1 or whatever. Or however you work that the sign with a, with a sign in there or something, right? So I got my spool of thread here, arrow pointing up. It and it it it's closer to zero because it has some vector going. Okay, so you're moving up. Way. You're moving towards your one eye, right? Which is I, right? But but it, you're not all the way there because again, anything that's above my x intuitively to me is y. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's why I have this whole spool of thread analogy. So now it has a vector of this, and either it's tending towards y mm-hmm. or it's tending towards another dimension, but it's, it's still on the x mm-hmm. axis, x line. But it's a, a, it's actually quantity is something less than one. It's that it's quantity as far as x is concerned is less than one. It's quantity as far as I is concerned right. is less than one. One, it would be less than I. Right, less than right. So, so I mean, so that's my working analogy so far. Mm-hmm. So now we have a particle where we're looking at it in two D space. Yep. Okay. So now let's put it at x one, y two. Right. Just just to give it some some flavor so you got a particle there now it has a vector now x1 y2 if y means i if you're talking about well, the i axis I'm, I'm thinking about something in 2d space okay but if you're talking but I, but let me just make this point if you're talking about the i axis then if you're talking about like 2y, no. that's beyond the unit circle. Just want to no, make sure that... But no, I'm talking about the y-axis. I'm talking about something here, right here on this piece of paper. All right, so I'm at a Cartesian plane. Right. Okay. So now, I want to imagine... I want, so maybe this is where it breaks down, but let, let me just talk, right? So now we have this particle. It has a vector, right? It's it's a point-in-time piece of this curve, or I, I don't know, of, of this sure, line sure, or something. Sure, sure, Yes. Right? And so... It has a vector going from zero to its point, right? Right. So, like, we snapshot it, and at one second, it's at x1, y2. Right. Right? And if we were able to snapshot it at two seconds, it would be at x2, y4, right? So it's it's moving up at 60 degrees, okay? Okay. So the vector on that point at y1 is something 60 degrees, which, again, when we go back to my spool of thread thing is, you know... All right, okay, let me let me break your problem, hopefully. Okay, so you start with a point at x, at x comma y, or x comma 2y. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? X comma 2y is your first point. Your second point is 2x comma 4y. Mm-hmm. So you have a line that's going in, in one direction. Is that a vector? No. Why is that not a vector? Because those numbers are exactly transferable. A vector... Has a magnitude 
mm-hmm. and an enforced direction. It has to be going in its particular direction. Otherwise, it's not a vector. An, idea, an example of a vector in, in reality is me- momentum. Momentum is a vector quantity. Momentum gets changed if its direction changes. Even if its magnitude doesn't change, its direction changes, momentum is changed. So how isn't this a vector, right? Because its direction is uh, 2 over okay. 1, right? Yeah. right. Its magnitude is 1 over 1, 1 unit per second, or per T. Right. So how is that not... Well, because well, the reason why is because is, is X and Y are the same thing in, in terms of Cartesian plane. They're exactly the same. So you can flip them around and have the same... You can twi- twist this 90 degrees uh, and you, you, you can put the X... You can If you do this X, Y and you have just an arrow going like that way and you just decide to draw... Instead, to call this y and x, and you have an arrow going this way, it's the same graph. It's exactly the same graph. Sure. But if you have x and i, and you have an arrow going this way, and you change that to i and x, this is not the same graph. This is going in a verifiably different direction. I, I, I understand that, right? Because... It's you're switching the location with the vector. Where are you in the first one? You're switching location with location. That's exactly it. That's all there is okay. to it. All you're saying is that this is verifiably different. So you can you can distinguish between the x and well, i axis. Okay, you can't so, actually distinguish between x and y on a Cartesian plane. Okay, you told me that already. Yeah. I don't understand why that's a statement what they're saying. The reason why it's a statement they're saying is because then you can say what is up and down. You can define up and down where you couldn't before. Right? You can say something in I is off of this plane that I am How is that defining on. up, though? It's defining where it's, it's defining a, a frame of reference. Which is vitally important. Uh, it doesn't uh, okay. Defining a frame of reference is saying y is up and x is across. That's to me. That's defining y a frame of reference. You can do it. You can do that, but then you can go away and come back to it, and you won't know if those axes are rotated or not. But if you define a frame of reference such that one is x and one is i, you can tell whether one of the axes is rotated or not. Yes, but. I is a virtual dimension or a virtual, I mean. It's not. I mean, it is, but it's not. It, it, it is because you're not going to ever observe I. Right. But it's not because it's actually useful in terms of qualifying what you mean when you say this is part of, of, uh, of a flat plane and this is the part off of a flat plane. It, it, look, this is a complicated subject. I don't expect you to get it right away. 
I don't expect anyone to get it right away. Uh, th- this takes time to get through. But the whole reason why I is useful is because it allows you to define where you are. It allows you to to explicitly point out a particular frame of reference where the other one just allowed you to very... X and Y allows you to very much ignore all of that. This is why it becomes in handy for rotation and other things like that where you're changing your reference frame, where you're changing how you're looking at something. Because you can now define a specific way that you are looking at something. Sure, I remember that part, right? I mean, the way I understood that part was that, you know, step one, you have your action, you, you have your vertical and your horizontal. You got the part, you got the point as a vector. Step two is to orient your horizontal and vertical to that vector. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine without understanding it fully how having these two frames overlaid, frames of reference overlaid can do some math that makes it good. I am still... Okay, I have, well, I, have, I, mean, I have zero comprehension of when you actually have a point in 2D or 3D space. Um, well, just think 2D for now. Don't I think sure. 3D space. Well, sure, 2D, but even 2D space... You're saying forget about Y, make it I. I don't see how that's analogous. I don't see how it. Well, what I'm saying because the way I'm imagining I is kind of you know is this vector measurement on the particle. So it's kind of this like you freeze time, you get the you get the point yeah, of yeah. where it is along one axis in its directionality. Okay, I'm, I'm just and, I, I'm I'm not trying to destroy what you know about I because you have exactly the right idea but i what i'm just trying to is is fill in some of the gaps for people who may not get it or for people who may be saying well how is y different from how is a y-axis different from the i-axis what makes the why can't you just do this in a cartesian plane you can certainly draw circles on a cartesian plane right it's not like i let you draw circles (laughs) i just gives you another form of of appreciating an axis that allows of, of appreciating this other axis that allows you to translate it directly as opposed to being confused about which axis is which. Okay. I'm done. All right. I got nothing else to say about that. I tried. I got to get up at six in the morning and upgrade a firewall. So I guess we should probably wrap this up. All right. Well, I'm sure that was fun for everybody. Let's let's uh, let's do that again sometime, huh? I'm sure we will. <laughs> I am positive we'll have the exact same conversation in six months. Cool. I don't know if that's cool. I think it's just we're doomed to repeat ourselves. I. My ultimate goal was to try to get you to understand quantum mechanics. I realized that that is a far a lot. A lot to go, but understanding I is important to quantum mechanics. It, it's fundamental. All right, to quantum mechanics. Oh. Understanding the complex plane is as important as as arithmetic. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs>